How's it going? I'm Daniel Chung. Um, I, I am uh, a Marketplace elder, um, and I'm really happy to be here. It's actually been four years since the last time I preached on a Sunday. I guess that's about the length of time Frau needs to forgive me. But I'm back, baby. I had quite the week, actually. I, I just got back yesterday. I was visiting a, a sick sister over at Baylor University Hospital in Dallas. Anyone from Dallas? No? Oh, okay. Cool, yeah. Guns, barbecue. It's an interesting place, for sure. I'm glad to be back, though. Um, I love it. It's great, but yeah. Sorry, Frau. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna lean in today into to God's word. And so I just want to invite you guys. We're gonna study His word. We're gonna try and and be confronted with with the truth that's that's inside of it. And when it when it happens, uh, open your hearts. Let's stay soft to it and let's really dig in. Yeah. All right. Cool. Because you probably won't see me up here again for another four years. So. <laughs> open your Bibles. Psalm one thirty. Psalm 130, eight verses today. This is God's word for us as a pilgrim people. Out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all in its iniquities. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, study it, that it would come alive in our hearts. Holy Spirit, as we contemplate the truth um, of, of, of your scriptures, I pray that it would, yeah, soften our hearts, help us to hear you, Lord. We pray uh, that you would just have your way in Jesus' name. All right, imagine that you're on a trip. Uh, to the beach, like Luis was saying, uh, to not do shady things as he was suggesting. Um, and you're taking three of your best friends, all right? And they're like, okay, cool. Um, I'm gonna take Kirk and Mandy, because they're amazing, and my son, Nolan, right? And they're like, okay, listen, here's a Bluetooth speaker. Could you do me a favor and figure out the playlist for this trip to the beach? What are some of the songs you guys would pick, or what's the playlist you would pick? Beach Boys, okay, yeah. What was that? Biebs. That's different from, what was that? Beach Boys again, wow, all right. Yeah, you know, some vibey beach music, Shakira, okay. Some Jack Johnson, some reggae, or all that other stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna shift gears. What if the playlist you were designing was for a funeral? 
what if it was for a 4th of July party for the songs, for the playlist you would use? Yeah. I'm proud to be an American. Sure, all that stuff, right? The, the destination and the purpose of the trip has to kind of match the playlist that you'll be listening to, right? I mean, how awkward would it be if you decided at your kid's birthday party you're gonna blast Cardi B, for example? So when Israel journeyed back three times a year to Jerusalem on this pilgrimage, believe it or not, God had a playlist for them. And they're called the Songs of Ascent. Today we, we know them as Psalms 120 through 135, 134. God specifically used these Psalms to teach Israel something as they journeyed back or as they pilgrimaged. Now, the idea of pilgrimage seems to be one of the ways that the Bible describes our life here. A lot of philosophers frame it that way. It's a journey. It's, 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 it's a process, right? But a pilgrimage is actually pretty different from a typical journey or a trip, right? You get to the airport, business or pleasure, right? A pilgrimage is something bigger than those things. The purpose of a pilgrimage is to travel ultimately to where the presence of God is. And as we travel, there's like this sense, right? Like we're just kind of passing through. We care about the places we go, but we don't get too rooted in and caught up in the places we are because our ultimate destination is, is actually heaven, right? We're these, there's a sense of this like ever-present thing of like we're foreigners in this land since our ultimate citizenship is not here, but there with Jesus, right? So pilgrim people, they move with intention, but they also wait with intention. To the world, it might look like wandering. To you, it might feel like wandering. But nothing is by accident because God is the one leading us on this pilgrimage. So we're, we're different from the world. We're not in, it, in this life for business or pleasure, right? Most people travel, vacation, they go somewhere to experience the temporary places they are in. Pilgrim people travel through temporarily to impact the places they go. The impact, namely, is the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus. This gospel promise is actually the fuel of why do we go on pilgrimage? How do we do it? When we look at Psalm 130 and we look at the first few um, verses, this unnamed psalmist actually starts off with a very sober uh, vibe, right? Out from the depths I call to you, hear my cry, Lord, be attentive. Apart from God, our condition is actually pretty rough. It says from the depths, the depths. I like to go fishing. Sometimes I think about how far down the ocean floor is. And when we think about sin and we think about our iniquities, it's actually just like that. We're at, we're at the bottom of a sea, crying out to God. <laughs> Southlands, I love you guys. You know that, right? I don't know everyone personally, but I do know you guys are some of the most amazing people I know. You guys are bright, you know. You love your kids. You're ridiculously good looking. Thanks. Except for, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, 
We're good people, right? We care about a community. We pay our taxes. Yeah? <laughs> so okay, I don't work for the IRS. <laughs> but the thing is, that's not the whole story, right? We're also compromisers. We can be hypocritical. We're capable of lying, being self-righteous, prideful. Guys, we all struggle with sin, don't we? All of us. Verse three, check it out. If you kept an account of our iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Isn't that the truth? It doesn't feel good always to talk about it, but we actually need to engage it and realize that we're full of good stuff and full of some shameful, sinful stuff too. During the pandemic, um, our sinfulness was pretty inescapable, I think. Uh, in some ways, my family, we really flourished. Um, but also, in some ways, I think we really struggled, too. Early on, I think watching, like, Tiger King was probably sinful. <laughs> if you saw it, you know what I mean. <laughs> I think the sin that I might have been guilty of was judging other people. So I remember during the lockdown, I called... Uh, um, someone in, in my life group, and we were just kind of talking, having the typical pandemic lockdown conversation, you know? Hey, man, how's it going? Isn't this crazy? Have you seen the numbers? What are you doing? Do you have enough pa uh, toilet paper? <laughs> man, isn't, isn't the murder of George Floyd just terrible? Isn't the political and the divide and the unrest just heartbreaking, right? Remember this kind of conversation we used to have about a year ago? And I ended it with the standard, hey man, how can I be praying for you? And what he said actually kind of convicted me. He's like, bro, can you pray for me? I'm having a hard time. I'm judging other people a lot. They don't think like I do. They don't believe what I believe. They don't do what I think they should do and I'm judging them. Please pray for me. You see, we have to be careful not to make light of sin. We're all guilty of it. We gotta continually acknowledge our brokenness and equally acknowledge that the redemption from that brokenness that we seek, it doesn't come from the world. Our government leaders are ordained by God, but despite their best efforts, they cannot save us from sin. Issues of social justice are important, good causes, but they cannot save us from sin. Only God can save us from sin. And he offers this forgiveness and redemption, but we need to come back to this idea again and again and be confronted with the truth of our sin again and again. It isn't most, the most pleasant thing to be called out and say, hey, look in your heart and boldly, boldly call out sin. Go into that dark, dusty corner where the skeletons are, grab that sin and drag it out into the light. We'd rather honestly just keep it tucked away, huh? Sin has a way of being justified and we give excuses for it. Ah, that, you know, that's a small sin, right? It's culturally acceptable. I'm not committing the big ugly sins that the bad people do. But guys, come on, we can't play pretend. Plus, it's not me standing here telling you that we're sinners, undeserving, right, unable to save yourself. It's biblical truth that leaves nobody in the righteous column. 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why would, why would God want Israel to be reminded every single time they went back that through this psalm, we should be desperately calling out to God from the depths of our sin and iniquity? Why am I asking you to do the same? Because understanding deep within your heart that you are a sinner is not a guilt trip. Understanding that we are broken, unworthy, undeserving of a holy God, it leads to an understanding of the impossible distance Jesus came to rescue us. Understanding the sea bottom floor of sin speaks to the greatness of his incredible love for you. Understanding the condemnation of your sin will help you to worship him with all your heart, mind, body, soul. Why do Christians raise their hand, sing out loud, sometimes terribly off key? Why do we sometimes kneel? Why do we weep? Why do we stand in silence? If you could understand, if we could understand the terrible consequence of what we deserve, the horrific punishment that Jesus endured for us. And now, the full access to God, our Father, you'd worship too. You see, when you become more aware of your sin, you become more aware of his amazing character. And when I stop to think about it, shoot, I can't go maybe one hour maybe without sinning. On a bad day, a minute. <laughs> and then I go, it causes me to humble myself, right? Like, ah, Lord, I repent. And then he does. Every single time he forgives me. And all I can do is stand in awe and worship of the one I love. Mm. You know, when we discount our sin, I think something else happens. I think we can grow kind of arrogant and we can start to think we're better than other people. It just creeps in in little ways, right? Can I be real, raw with you? Ooh, I have a younger sister um, who I love very much. We're two and a half years apart and we grew up very close. I mean, she was like my shadow. <laughs> uh, we both grew up in the same house and experienced the various challenges of being an immigrant kid. And, and, and as we kind of like moved into adulthood, we started to make different decisions. I graduated uh, with honors on the way to university and she barely finished high school. Now look, I wandered a bit too, but for the most part, I stayed plugged into church and became the first in my family to get a college degree. I pursued a good career. I got married, huge score. My sister, uh, she, I don't know, didn't have the strength for those things and self-medicated her problems and ultimately ended up deeply um, um, stuck in a world of substance abuse and gosh, it nearly drove our family completely apart. My parents the Korean Americans, first generation. <laughs> they don't have 
the cultural ability to understand it. And honestly, they struggle so hard because they couldn't find a way to help her back. Years of rehab, in and out. Lots of painful conversations. <sighs> Look, she was, praise the Lord, able to get clean, and she is still sober today. And thank God she's doing much better. But during the whole ordeal, I was super upset with God. See, my parents are hardworking, immigrant family, blue-collar guys. Guys, my dad and my mom. <laughs> they sacrificed so much for my family. My dad was an elder in the church. My family, we loved and we served the Lord. How is this fair, God? How can she do this to us, to them? And I thought, because on the surface, I was cleaner, I was justified in my feeling of feeling superior or better than her. I was so smart and talented. I love Jesus so much. I owned and read both the regular Bible and the study Bible. Right? I played on the worship team. Woohoo! I have a degree. I'm so, yeah, cool. My parents got three uh, grand boys, grandkids, because of me, yay. <laughs> See, the Lord used my sister to teach me what grace truly was. Even the world might view me on the surface, right, as more righteous than my sister. In God's eyes, we were equal. My sin might have been better hidden, but not to God. We were both sinners. I was considered the good kid and she was considered the black sheep, but not to God. We were both unconditionally loved. When we discount our sin, <clears throat> we can allow a type of arrogance to creep in. We end up judging other people against the standard that honestly is made up. It's our morality that we kind of pick and choose. Instead of realizing that we are all in need of a savior, and who am I to judge? And God sees sin as sin, because he is holy, and sin separates us all. It binds us all. <laughs> Heavy. While it's unhealthy probably to go overboard with this, I think generally as a culture, right, we lean towards the um, making less of our sin, right? And we're not being honest with where our condition really is. Thankfully, friends, the story doesn't end with just our sin. Verse four, there is a promise that is a key to our pilgrimage. But with you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered or feared or worshiped. I'm reading CSB, by the way. Praise the Lord, we have that promise, yeah? We call out to him, he's gonna be faithful to hear us and to forgive us. This forgiveness of God, I know you've probably heard a lot about it. It's incredible, it's worth talking about. First of all, it is unearned, unmerited forgiveness. That means that you don't have to perform any certain tasks to prove to him that you deserve forgiveness. The Bible in, in 1 John 1, 8, 9, almost said 1 John, holy cow, um, 
If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession, repentance, it's just an honest moment before God to simply say, I'm wrong, Lord. I have sinned. I'm done with it. Please forgive me. That's it. That's all it takes. How simple. How can it be? Especially because our culture says what? When it comes to free stuff, right? Nothing comes for free. Ironically, that's correct. There is a cost to sin. There is consequences to sin. It's massive. It's just that Jesus took our consequences and Jesus paid the price for our sin. That's why it's free to us. It's not actually free. It's free to us because Jesus paid it. Free forgiveness? What? For a long time, I, personally, I've really struggled with this. Okay, my parents, they're good loving parents. <laughs> So I don't want you to think that they're terrible or anything, uh, but the truth is, you know, they, they, they are human after all. And so they struggled with how they expressed their love and approval towards me. Often, I was compared to the, to the good kids, right, um, who performed at higher levels than me, and they would pressure me. That's an understatement. Pressure me? They would pressure me to deliver good results, like good grades and good behavior. And it formed in me an idea that my value as a person was in what I was able to achieve. And it set in me the root of performative love. Even now, I try my best to be aware of this, right? So that I don't model this in my fatherly love to my boys. And it's hard, honestly. It creeps in sometimes. I don't always get it right. <laughs> it's tough, right, parents, when your kids disappoint you? So I make it an exercise. Every night, I tuck in my, when I tuck in my boys, I say the same thing. I say, Nathan, Nolan, I love you. And they go, I love you, Appa, usually. Appa means dad in Korean. <laughs> so do you know why I love you, son? And on cue, they answer, because I'm your son. And I respond, that's right, you are my son, and nothing can ever change that. These are words I, ne I didn't receive much as a child. And, and so sometimes even now, I, I can fall into thinking that I need to act a certain way to prove my love to God. Make sure that I you know, check all the boxes. That I come to church, check. Life group, check, right? Tithe, check. That is not how God's love works. The misunderstanding is that if you live a good life and obey God and prove your love to him, he will then accept me, offer me a relationship, and offer me forgiveness. Backwards. The reason why we obey God and follow him is because he loved us first, forgave us first, and there is nothing you can do, nothing you need to do, 
to earn his love. Amen. You hear me? Amen. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are some of you here today who are working really hard to prove your goodness or think that your sin is too big for his forgiveness. You might be beyond saving. You need to hear this. Because of Jesus, God forgives you. No matter how deep your sin, no matter how dirty your sin, no matter what it is you did, maybe you're struggling with like a habitual sin, right? It's the millionth time I'm asking for forgiveness. Isn't he sick and tired of forgiving me? I'm sick and tired of asking for it. Stop. His love is deeper, wider than all those things. His forgiveness is brighter than any of the darkness that exists. His grace is sufficient for you. So all we need to do is actually ask. Say, you know, repent. Right? You can, you can gain that forgiveness. You can receive it even today. And then we can be free to follow God and be formed more like him. Our tendency, you see, is to diminish the gravity of our sin. And then, flip side, we add a bunch of extras and rules to it in order like, to gain his forgiveness, right? But what the Pilgrim Psalm here is saying is literally the opposite. We first acknowledge the gravity of our sin. We fully accept the complete, unmerited forgiveness of our Father through Christ crucified. It's important. I'm repeating myself, right? It's important to regularly acknowledge our sin. It's important to regularly accept the unconditional love of God. We should do it over and over and over again, like God asked Israel to sing it over and over and over again. Say to your neighbor, <laughs> Let's see who says it. I am a sinner. A little chuckly, and I like it. Let's try it again. Say to your neighbor, I am a sinner. Now say to that same neighbor, I am forgiven. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. Stop to think about it. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. When the truth really starts to come out of these words, man, there I am again in worship. Sorry, I'm a worship guy. I can say, great are you, Lord. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. I'm a sinner. I am forgiven. He's faithful to the end. We're going to follow Jesus. No turning back. So good. He is so good. Come on, we got to celebrate this promise, right? That while we sojourn, we have an identity secured, a future promised. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Amen. Yeah, he is. Here, let's go to verse five. 
we see a beautiful illustration of what it means to be waiting on pilgrimage. <clears throat> I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. It continues on. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. Isn't that beautiful? A tension exists between our final home, our ultimate identity, and the current place and journey that we're on right now, right? This tension is the now and not yet, right? In other words, when Christ died and resurrected, when he came back to life, we inaugurated the kingdom of God, right? But we will consummate the kingdom of God on that final day when he returns, and that tension is where we are right now. A month ago, Matt Henderson, you know that guy? Yeah. Some of y'all? Okay. Who is he? Come on, Jim. <laughs> he gave us a useful illustration on this very thing, right? The kingdom of God had been downloaded, the files in our hard drive, we double-clicked it, and now it's beginning to install in our hearts. That progress bar is like wherever, 10%, 30%, and one day we'll be at 100%. This means we've got to wait. We've got to wait for the Lord's return, his completion of the kingdom in our hearts. I've never liked waiting. Have you? Like, do you guys like to wait? Like you open your Disney app, you're like, cool, an hour. I can't wait to wait an hour. No, probably not. You guys ever see that uh, comedian uh, Ronnie Chang on Netflix? Uh, don't watch it. It's sinful like Tiger King. Um, but he does a bit where he's talking about buying stuff off of Amazon and how impatient we are when we order it, right? Like you, you, you buy something and you go, you have to wait, what, for UPS ground shipping, ground, right? Like one to two weeks to get my stuff from Amazon. What are we, peasants, right? <laughs> Enter Amazon Prime, two-day shipping. Pretty good, not good enough. One-day shipping, oh, closer closer. Now they offer what? Same day delivery. But honestly, what do we want? We want Amazon now. We want to click buy and we want someone to hand the thing to us immediately. We want to click and then just like, bam, there it is. We don't like to wait. But when it comes to our hearts and our character before God, there's time involved. We got to wait. And the psalmist here describes this wait like the watchmen who wait for the dawn. So what can we learn from these watchmen? First, they, they watch with, and they wait with purpose. The night watch is a proactive task, right? I mean, what use is a guard who's asleep at the post? You know, as a watchman, you're, you're constantly surveying the land, right? You're looking out for enemies and dangers beyond the borders of your encampment or your city, right? Um, you're, you're, have your hand on your weapon at all times just in case you got to ward off the enemy. You want to lift up a, a warning to those inside in case something is happening, right? A watchman protects the people while they sleep, while they're most vulnerable. They protect their lives and they protect their livelihood. So what do we need to do? We need to also stay active in our waiting. 
God has given us a mission to complete until the day of his returning or until we go home. We need to meditate on his word, be vigilant in prayer, and not forsake the gathering of believers. We're also supposed to go and make disciples here, there, and to everywhere else in the world. How do we do that? We do that with love that's centered on this message that we are just talking about, the gospel. During the pandemic, I think we learned a little bit about what's mission critical, honestly, what's not. For example, do we need <laughs> this beautiful, comfortable, air-conditioned building to gather as God's people? Uh, <laughs> that's some honest answer. Yeah, I felt like we did. Yeah, this is, this is we, yeah, we have to have this. This is, yeah. But actually, it's the gathering of God's people that's mission critical, right? So we met in the tent, or we met in the backyards, or we met online. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop gathering as God's people. We also learned that some things helped us in our work as watchmen, and some things distracted us from the work. There are so many causes that we can champion. What I've noticed is that some well-meaning Christians, believers, fall into championing a cause that is good, but is actually secondary. I think the past year really taught us that we gotta spend our energy with wisdom and with grace on what is primary. Primary. So let me ask you, what's primary? Well, was there a way we could have gotten through this last year and a half without the foundation of God's word or without prayer or the careful guidance of our spiritual leaders who consistently reminded, seek God first. God has been so kind to us. We haven't fallen into factions, nor did we fail to engage our community by feeding the poor. We preached the gospel to our neighbors. We filled the tent and the parking lot with our worshiping voices each and every week without fail. We learned some valuable things, didn't we, Southlands? So when we move forward to whatever comes next, let's remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Verse 7 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. We cannot put our hope in other things. Flatly, they're not worthy of your hope. Hope in your health, hope in your money, hope in the politics, or in any other idol that you want to pick. We need to put our hope in the Lord because only he can redeem in abundance. Seriously. Sometimes the waiting is a little different. Um, it's, it's waiting for that kingdom bar, install bar to kind of move forward, right? It's like stuck in buffering. That's what Frau said before, right? Stuck in buffering and we want it to move forward. And it's like, Lord, we're called to something. We sense that call, but like the circumstance hasn't changed. Or maybe you've been praying for someone or something to change in your life and you're like, please God, I need an answer. And it's still just waiting. The watchmen in this passage are also waiting. They're waiting for the dawn, the bright sun, the birds chirping. So they work all through the night with their one eyeball on the east. Why? Because the sun's going to rise. They don't doubt it. 
Any of you wonder if the sun will rise this morning? Okay, good. We're all okay. Just as sure as the sun is going to rise each morning, God is faithful for, to fulfill his promise to us. It's, it's actually more sure. <laughs> right? Like we flat assume the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Well, I mean, scientists say it's not. One day when there's some really big major problems for all of us, right? But God's promise is even more sure than that. Hey, remember when we were praying during the lockdown? <laughs> Lord, please make things better. Can't stand this thing. This sucks. I want to do this. I want to do that. Even then, did God's promise and presence ever fail us, church? When we were restricted from meeting and during our COVID, uh, our COVID lockdown and pre-recorded worship and pre-recorded uh, sermons, God was with us. When we were meeting in the parking lot under the sun and the wind and even the rain, God was with us. When we went back inside and sat in pods, remember, and masks on, God was with us. Then, when we went back out into the tent, and then, when we got called back in, now, sitting here, the whole way through, God was with us. In our, in your waiting, in your longing, know that God is near to you, and he won't fail. The sun will rise. He will fulfill his word. Verse 8 to close. And he will redeem Israel from all in its iniquities. Yeah. yeah. Amen. There is a future day where all of us are going to see our hope face to face. What's the name of our hope? Who is it? We're going to see him face to face. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? So live today with that tomorrow in mind. Share the truth today of the truth of that tomorrow. I'm hoping that when we uh, look back at the last, whatever, 18 months of time, we'll see that God has taught us some important things. The centrality of the gospel, once lost to sin, unable to save ourselves, but finding forgiveness in Jesus. Son and daughters, so it's in that promise that we can continue on this journey, continue the work, that we can actually wait, wait for the Lord. Because he's going to be like that sun, bright and shining on that final day. Do you believe it? All right, in a moment, JD's going to lead us through how we're going to respond. I just want to say... If you haven't met, made a formal decision to follow Jesus, I want to offer at least the opportunity to do that today. Maybe it hit you earlier that you're just like the psalmist says, that you're in this bottom of the sea depths of sin and you just can't get out of it. Maybe you need forgiving. Jesus has made a way for you. Jesus is your way out. If you accept his forgiveness, 
and you decide to follow him. So I want you to think about it. And when you get the chance, when JD gives you an opportunity, please don't hesitate, okay? If you are still trying to earn his love, today is your chance to stop it. Stop it. Put it down. Stop the toil, the guilt, the pressure. And stand and accept the unconditional love of Christ, the unconditional love of God. If you're dealing with sin and you're stuck in that, can't find a way out, come, humble yourself. Let's repent. Confess your sin. Let's get right with God. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. I am a sinner. I am forgiven. All right, let's not discount our sins. Let's not add extra stuff to the gospel. The promise of Jesus is enough. Let's put our hope in Jesus, yeah? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we are sinners. We, apart from you, are absolutely lost. There's just no way out. Cultural morality isn't enough. Just to live a good life and die, we know won't do it. <laughs> so Father, please forgive us of our sin. Remind us yet again of who we are, that you came and you chose us, not because we earned it, not because we're good enough, but because you are good, because you are to be worshiped and revered. So God, we're gonna respond, Lord, by giving you praise because you're faithful, you're good, you're great. You never failed us. Wherever we went in this last 18 months, every change, every decision, your hand was with us. Your presence like a cloud, by fire, by, by smoke, Lord, you never failed us. When we look back on our life, through all the changes from childhood to today, to our children and to our grandchildren, when we see the entirety of our pilgrimage on one piece of paper, Lord, we can't help but look at that and say, God, to you the glory and honor and praise. You are worth it, Lord. You are good. So we put our trust in you, Jesus. Help us to do so. Even now, for those of us who are struggling to do this, Holy Spirit, come, help us. Help us to humble ourselves, to not toil anymore, to lay that burden down, and to pick up, Lord, the light and good uh, promise that we have in you. Help us to no longer think that we're only loved when someone sees this value. God, you see us, and you see us as your son and daughter. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us today to come before you and just receive you as a good, good father. So we praise you now. We thank you, God. Help us as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.